any preacher can tell you they uh, each preacher has a process and how they prepare for the Sunday homily or Sunday sermon. Um, and I have my own. And part of that process involves sitting down with my wife and we read the Sunday readings together and then kind of discern a theme or talk about the ideas. And then I probably throw too many ideas and my wife lovingly cuts many of them down. We try to get to a single moment, a single idea that it seems what God or the Lord is saying through his word for his church. That's kind of our process. And um, this <laughs> Sunday, it was hard. I'll promise you, I was having a hard time uh, coming to the point because what we hear today in the letter of St. Paul to the Roman church, talking about love, is put together with our gospel reading uh, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to deal with sin, how to deal with conflict in his community. So that's what we heard today. I should have prefaced by saying Jesus says, because that was all Jesus saying what he said there, about what it means if someone is doing something they shouldn't be doing and the process we do to challenge those misdeeds. And that's paired up with Paul's beautiful section on what love means. And so every, um, every Sunday that we've been reading together, the readings and discovering what does it mean to follow Jesus in today's age, last week we said we hit on the centerpiece of what it meant to follow Jesus, which meant to take up your cross and follow him. And we said that Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your cross. He says that because the cross, however we might think we see it, because it's a ghastly thing you, you realize that's a was an instrument of capital punishment. Nevertheless, when Jesus died on the cross, he transformed our ultimate tool of hatred and death, and he transformed it into a vehicle of his love and life. And therefore, if we're to love like Jesus, which that's what it means to love, is to love in the shape of Jesus, we must also take up our cross, which means pouring out our love sacrificially so those around us, in the same way that Jesus poured out his life to love us. All right, so that's last, you know, that's last week's sermon. I guess you don't have to hear it, that's the point. But that's what love is. And I was thinking about that because inevitably you have, you know, 15, 20 minutes up here. You don't have a lot of time to unpackage ideas. And I realized that last week when we talked about love, we really left it up in the air, kind of analytically. In the mind, love is infinite giving of the self for the other. That sounds nice. But what does that mean practically in our daily lives? What, what does that look like? And I thought maybe one of the better ways for me to try to share that with you is to share a bit of my story with you. And usually I try to avoid that up here. Uh, I'm also shy, I guess. But uh, today, I guess... It matters to see how love can be, how the love of God is shared practically, person to person. That's what we want to know, probably. How does that practically work out? So I'll let you know, I, I came to faith. This is my testimony, so a small part of it. That's what we're getting to. Uh, I became a Christian, I was in my early 20s. Um, as some of you know, I've been coming to this church uh, long enough. Um, I left home when I was a teenager. I was 13, 14 when I left home. My father was very physically abusive. 
my mother left and then my sister and I also left. It was not, uh, it was a very uh, painful and uh, toxic uh, beginning of this, of my life. It was really hard. And when I left home, life got much harder because being a teenager, um, you, you shouldn't be alone in this world. Uh, but my sister and I were, so it was really hard for a long time. But now I can see looking back that through God's grace, um, he saw us through. I didn't know it at the time. I just thought, felt life was really hard. But that's what happened. Uh, I somehow graduated high school. And then I was, after high school, I, didn't, I wasn't sure what I was doing with my life. I was in construction for a while, very aimless. And in that time of my life, um, I made some friends. And I was very uh, glad to make these friends. A lovely group of guys who uh, immediately uh, welcomed me, were really kind to me, very loving to me, very encouraging. And I had never experienced friendship like the ones, um, like, like theirs. Uh, most of my friends at that time, all we did was do a lot of drinking and press a lot of bowls of weed. That's all that I knew. And then with these new friends, they didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And I noticed that they kept talking about Jesus a lot. And it dawned on me that they were these Christian guys. And for over a year, my friendship with them, they just, um, I, just, I, could, I could feel welcomed and loved. And eventually, uh, one of my closest friends, and now is probably my best friend, was the best man at wedding, um, his name's Phil. Um, he, after about a year of close friendship, um, I remember we were driving somewhere and he sort of parked in this like uh, a parking lot by a 7-Eleven right next to the trash can. And he, I could tell that he was really, um, really amped. He was really like, amped or I could see there was like a nervous energy. Um, so I was wondering what was, gonna, what, what was he thinking? He clearly wanted to tell me something, wasn't sure what it was. Um, so I sat there and he gave me this prepared, I could tell it was a prepared speech that he wanted me to give my life to Jesus. And so he had a little talk prepared. Oh, you know, I'm upset Jesus loves you. And he's, uh, I can't remember everything he said, but I remember this one line that he did say to me. He said, Seth, God has always loved you and he's always been with you. And so he wants you to draw close to him. And when he said that to me, I remember that I lost my mind. I got incredibly angry and I started yelling at him because that really triggered me because I started saying things like, well, if God was always with me, why wasn't he there when my dad was beating my mom to a fault? Where was he when my dad was kicking me in my room? Where was, I started really aggravating him. What do you mean God is loving you? Where was he when I was going through the hardest time in my life? And I got really animated. I was very loud and angry in that small 97 Pontiac Sunfire. And I could tell also that my friend was very nervous. He was probably scared. I was known to be violent from time to time. So maybe he thought I was going to be violent in that moment. I don't know. But he just sort of curled up a little bit. And then I caught myself in my feelings. And I felt really bad that I just yelled at one of my closest friends. And really, I went really hard. And I'll always remember what he did because I think it's probably one of the best things he could have done, which is amazing. Um, he said, um, I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say to that. I just wanted to give you this book. And I, I've always loved him for that because sometimes it's tempting when people share their hearts and their pain. You want to give a Christian answer, try to encapsulate what they're going through. And by trying to help being helpful, we actually keep them helpful. But he didn't try to do that. He didn't try to pretend like he understood my pain and try to explain it. Oh, Jesus on the cross. He didn't try to do any of that. He said, Seth, I don't know what to say. I just want to give you this book. And he gave me a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which is a classic in the Christian world. 
And I was so embarrassed that I had been so mean. He's like, I just want you to read this, that's all. And so I grabbed the book and I said, yes, yes, I'll read this. Uh, kind of a penance for being so, so rude to him. But in reading that book, many times back to back, I think I read it five times back to back, something new was happening in my life, um, which now I would describe as God's presence, God's grace was drawing near in a special way, pulling me back to who, he, to who God is, which is love. And I became a Christian through this friendship and many friendships. And I felt this explosion of God's presence and his love and his grace in my life. And I immediately got plugged into my local church. I started serving. Uh, you know, I was a musician, so I started playing in the church uh, group, church band. Um, I started leading Bible studies. So I got really into uh, reading the Bible. So I started reading Bible studies. And I started doing all the tricky things you do when you're a Christian. Really animated for Jesus. And then, then I think five years in, this is my reality. On Sundays, I was often leading worship, like I do here, playing music. Um, during the week, on Wednesdays, leading Bible studies at my local church in Hamilton, Ontario. And then Fridays and Saturdays, I still was going out partying way too hard, uh, abusing substances, still had a bad, terrible habit of drinking. And in terms of the Christian sexual ethic, not maintaining proper boundaries, uh, you know, for uh, how to express sexuality, there's Boundaries of the Bible things that Jesus talks about, and I was not listening to those. So I was living a double life, right? There was a sense in which I had accepted analytically the truth of who God is revealed in Jesus, but I had this other life that I was still leaning into, still living into, and they were destroying me. They were, my soul was being destroyed. And I could feel it. I could feel the hypocrisy. I could feel um, the lack of integrity. I was being, I was being, I was cleaning myself in half. And I was, I was dying. I could feel it. And eventually I approached one of, um, one of our church pastors. It was like an 800 person church. It was massive. So I approached one of our pastors and I said, oh, hey, Joe, I need help. Um, can you help me? And Joe said, very wonderfully and very wisely, he's like, Seth, like, yeah, I want to, but we're also friends. Like, I'm not that much older than you. Um, you actually need a mentor. You need someone that can come alongside you and help you. So I have someone I'm thinking about. And it was a, an older gentleman from the church. And so he set up a kind of like a coffee date with this man named Stu. And uh, Stu, um, he was actually here in the summer for May's baptism. Anyways, um, I got together with Stu, always funny, uh, at a Swiss chalet. Of all places. We sat down at a local Swiss chalet across the church. And I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Well, maybe he saw me at church playing music, but we didn't know each other. Sat down. And he said, all right, young man, what can I do for you? I'm so cheery. And I sat there in a river. Everything that I've been holding on to, everything that I've been trying to hide or lie about just rolled out of my body. I started saying everything. I've been doing this. I'm doing these drugs. I've been drinking this. I'm, I lead worship and I'm hungover. I'm praying to God that I don't puke because of the whiskey that they're going to smell. It was just like everything just came out, just pouring river. And I was at the same time that I was sharing everything, I was also very scared because I, in my mind I was thinking, well, what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to be kicked off my worship team. I'm not going to be allowed to be lead Bible studies anymore. I'll probably be put in church discipline. This is going to be very embarrassing for me publicly in this church community. But at the same time, this feels so good to finally tell the truth. And I don't, in the end, I don't care if all that's embarrassing. I just don't want to be this person anymore. So I got it all out. And then I stopped because I, I felt I had said everything. Oh, I was needing pornography too. So that was also a problem. Very seriously. 
blah, you know. And then I sat there, and the Stu just sat there with little Harry Potter glasses, um, little cardigan, God bless him. And he said, uh, well, okay, so what, uh, what part of the Bible did you read this week that really uh, touched your heart? And he asked me that question, and I looked at him. Like, what are you talking about, man? Uh, I said, uh, oh, I read Isaiah 42 this week, I guess. That was pretty cool. Stu, did you hear what I just said? Did you just hear everything that I just told you? It's gross. Why are you asking me about what Bible I read this week? And um, hopefully I'll never forget what he told me because it's shaped my faith. And he said, um, Seth, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know you know the answer, so I need you to answer it. Um, so here's the question. Seth, if you had done none of those things that you just told me about, would God love you more? Internally, I think I wrote that question, because that's the most Sunday school question, and you know the answer. No, Stu, God will not love me more. He already loves me infinitely. And he said, okay, good. I know you know that, but you have to say it out loud. And then he said, well, we can work on this together. Um, and we sort of talked the detail. He said a lot of, because I, I said I have all these issues. So what's the program? What are the rules? What do I have to do to become a better person? Because I have all these well, brokenness. And he said, well, all right, wait. We're not going to deal with all these habits. You have a lot of bad habits that you've been living into many years, right? So it's not going to work to try to set boundaries from the outside in because that's not how true spiritual growth happens. Rather, we're going to spend time together praying, reading the Bible, and confession on a weekly basis, and God is going to grow a new person inside of you, and that new person, that new heart, is going to push up the old. So in a year's time, maybe you'll still have some of this going on in your life. But maybe in two, five, ten, God is going to grow someone new, right? A new garden. Here. Let's not worry too much about that. And so that's what we did. For the first year, we met together two, three times a week. We prayed. We read the Bible. And I confessed everything that was going on in my life. You know, sin loves to live in the dark. But if you speak it out loud, the light destroys it. Something about saying what you're doing out loud destroys its power. And he would challenge me. He'd call me out of my guff. But he also loved me. I could feel it at the same time. That's 13, 13 years ago now, I guess. Sometime has happened. He's a dear friend. I eagerly tell this story whenever I can, at least in one-on-one -on -one situations. This is probably the first time that I've told it maybe before here, I'm not sure. Um, and I share that with you. Hey, I love praising Stu. He's a wonderful man. I'm, I'm grateful for his presence in my life. But in his, in what he did that day, that Swiss shelling, is in material terms what God is saying in his word, what it means to love. Because I'll tell you something. The general definition of love that we experience in this world what is it? Oh, you know, just be loving. Just be nice to people, don't hurt people. Or just be nice, just love. It's a definition without content. And when you try to put content to it, it turns out to be nothing. 
Because the kind of love that we talk about here is a love that doesn't rock the boat. You have a friend, and that friend is acting inappropriately. You, it's really hard to go up to them and challenge them the way Jesus talks about it. It's like, hey, notice that lately you've been behaving pretty selfishly, and that's hurting our relationship. It's hurting our friends' relationship, and we should talk about that. Right? I think naturally that would not fit in the definition of love that we hear generally propounded in the world that we live in. It's true. We actually value what Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letter from Birmingham Jail. He would say, he was writing this letter, he was in, in jail, fighting for civil rights in America. And he said, if you've read it, he says, the greatest obstacle to the civil rights movement in America is not the Ku Klux Klaner, like I thought. It's actually, he says, the white moderate who prefers a negative peace to positive justice. Who prefers to hey, everyone should be quiet, shh, just keep the status quo, let's not challenge anything. Rather than the hard and challenging work of speaking the truth. Because in speaking the truth is what begins and affects change, right? You have to acknowledge the problem before something good and new can happen. But our version of love doesn't include that. Often it's just, oh, just let's just all be nice and let's not talk about the hard things and just love somebody. As if being quiet about what's killing someone is love. And that is false. What we're seeing here in God's word, what Jesus talks about, right? Something's going on, we've got to talk about it. Bring it to people. What is Jesus doing there? He's, he's signaling pretty loudly, my followers, my, 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 my community, my church, there's going to be problems. There's going to be brokenness, Right? And you're going to have to talk about it. But it has to be in love. Everything done in love. That's what Paul says, right? Love doesn't hurt a neighbor, but fulfills love. And that's something we could skip over. Because it might sound like Paul saying, okay, Seth, it sounds like he's saying you have to talk about the hard things, but don't hurt your neighbor, so you got to do it kindly. We can talk about that. And that somehow is enough. So it's basically the same thing that everyone says, just with an extra step. And I'll tell you that's not the case. Because of what he says up there, fulfills the law. That is almost a technical phrase. Because in the, t- in the time of Jesus, when Jesus was speaking, fulfilling the law was a very specific thing. Man, you could keep all of God's law. And to be righteous would be to keep all of it. Is Paul saying, therefore, well, just keep all the law, you're going to be okay. I think not, because if it was possible for any human to keep all the law, then Jesus, then we, we didn't need the cross. Just be good, be better. But the point is, we can't. As much as I want to, my friends, there'll be a time when I hurt you. You're my neighbor, but I'll do that. I'm going to try not to, but I will. I'm, I'm infallible, I make mistakes. And you're going to hurt me. And this is, the, this is what it means to be human, to want to love, but to be broken and hurt. And we need help. And here's the, this God's honest truth. And this is the reason Jesus came. Is that Jesus is the only human being who ever loved God perfectly. Oh, ever loved his neighbor perfectly. And who fulfilled the law of God. He did everything. And then he gave his life for you and for me on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he swallowed our brokenness and death in his very body. He destroyed it in his death and he was raised from the grave to a new life. And all he says to you is now Trust me, 
And if you trust me, I will gift you the ability to love, to speak the truth together. You'll be able to challenge those things in this world and in our lives that are hurting us. You'll do it in a way that's love. Because what you hear out there is a lot of challenge, but it's mean, it's little, it's petty, it's arrogant. We need the love of Jesus. Let's do in my life. Right? Does that make sense, friends? What it means to love? The first step, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, my first step isn't to look at you and what you're doing wrong. My first step is actually to look at me, what's going on in my life, and bring that to Jesus. And that's the first step for all of us in this room. Because we're about to go to the Lord's table, right? We're gonna have communion. And so I invite you that as we sing our next offertory hymn, and as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, that we bring our hearts to God and say, God, I need your love in my life. I need the power to speak truth and justice in a way that is loving and affirming, and only you can help me do that. And I invite you to pray that as we come to the Lord's table. Let's prepare our hearts and let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise that you love us, that you reveal the truth of our lives and our hearts in such a way that, though it might sting for a moment, it actually brings healing, hope, and love. God, I pray that you imbue us with your love to speak the truth in our world and our lives in a way that is also healing, full of love. Help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.